Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Sunday night, I introduced uh, this subject, uh, Testing the Supernatural, and I'm still trying to figure out a title for it, but along these lines. You know, when you start talking about the supernatural, uh, to people in the world uh, and, and to pe- Christians even who don't know the Bible very well, they think of the supernatural. You know, you think about, you know, things that go bump in the night, you know, and uh, weird noises in your house and, you know, stuff flying around, that sort of thing, you know. And, uh, and that, that's not what the Bible's talking about. It's not what we're talking about, about the supernatural. Now, there are, all, there are people who don't believe in any really supernatural occurrences in Christianity. But you'd have to really be a denier of the entire word of God to not see that God has always moved among his people beyond the natural realm, beyond what's just, you know, ordinary uh, occurrences of life. He has always intervened in marvelous, miraculous uh, ways, stunning ways, signs, wonders. And it wasn't just in the Old Testament. It wasn't just when Moses, you know, led the children of Israel through the Red Sea, all the way through the Old Testament, the prophets, they were always ministering uh, by supernatural power. Of course, Jesus was the consummate miracle worker. And, uh, and in the book of, of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, as it's called, really not the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and others mostly the apostles, but others as well. And uh, and so the Holy Spirit acts. He does some things. Are y'all out there tonight? He's, you know, God is real. He's a, he's a real person. You know, if, if you had, if you had a, uh, a dummy sitting in your house, you wouldn't expect much out of him. You wouldn't get offended if he didn't do anything because he's a dummy. He doesn't do anything. God's not a dummy. God is a real person and, and he acts and he thinks and he manifests himself and he does things and, uh, and he's the almighty God. So you can expect him to do almighty things beyond the ordinary, amen? We see it all through the Bible. So, you know, don't let the word supernatural scare you. You know, there is a deeper life in Christ. It's, it's, not, the, it's not the delusional life, it's the deeper life. It's not the delirious life, it's the deeper life. And it's the supernatural, like I said Sunday, I think not the spooky natural, the supernatural. And so, uh, uh, but because of that, we need to test things to see what things are valid and what things are not valid. Because in the time in which we live, it's, it's been spoken of in the scriptures that in the last days, there will be false apostles and false Christ and false prophets and so forth. There'll be a lot of signs and wonders. That's one of the things that characteristic characterizes the end times is lying signs and wonders. There will be a lot of things that as Christians, we need to know what's true and what's not true. And, and not, not to be afraid of the true, but not, also not be afraid of judging things. It's not unspiritual to discern, test, and try supernatural occurrences, whether they're in your life or in somebody else's life that's presented to you. It that's, that's doesn't mean that you deny uh, God's power to question things, just questioning things. That's good. That's, and we saw that. Uh, we saw, you know, with, uh, with uh, apostles over in Revelation chapter 2, the church of, at Ephesus, Jesus commended them for trying, testing, judging uh, apostles. There were a lot of apostles uh, in the early church, you know, false apostles. And, and, and Ephesians was like a magnet for false apostles. And uh, Jesus, whenever uh, he gave those letters, you know, those, those messages to the seven churches, the first one was Ephesus, and he commended them for trying and testing those who said they were apostles, but they weren't. Amen. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I, really, I really just don't want to spend a lot of time on apostles because the same thing's true about prophets or any ministry gift. They need to be tested to see if they are what they are. And uh, so let's go a little bit further. Uh, go to Revelation chapter 2 before we, before we move off of uh, testing these ministries. Go to Revelation chapter 2 and let's read it again. There's something else here I, I think the Lord wants us to see. Didn't bring out 
on Sunday night. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel or to the messenger of the churches of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Well, that's talking about Jesus. Amen. He said, Jesus is speaking here. He said, I know your works, your labor and patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. Now, it's interesting that he didn't say, you have tested those who say they are apostles and you have found them as uh, misguided. You know, sometimes people are just misguided. But he said, you have found them liars. That's a, that's, a, that's a bold statement. That's an in-your-face statement. If you don't think it is, the next time somebody, your, one of your friends says something to you, it could just be about anything. And you can just look and say, you're a liar. And see what kind of reaction you get. That's a, that's a, that, them are fighting words. You might get a knuckle sandwich. He said, you have tried those who say they are apostles. They're not misguided. They're not just deluded. They're not silly. You found those, you've tried those who say they're apostles and you found them just to be a bunch of silly people. No, he said, you have found them to be liars. In fact, on Sunday, uh, I used talking about, you know, revelation when it comes to, you know, you have this eureka movement. I guess moment, I guess that, that word came up because the word there in the Greek where it says you, you have tested them and found them uh, to be liars, the word found is the Greek word that we get the word eureka from. And it's like, aha, you've tested those who say they are, are, are apostles and aha, they aren't. And you've, aha, you found them. Liars, serious stuff. It is not a small thing to falsely call. It's not a small thing when someone falsely calls themselves an apostle. It's not uh, a harmless delusion it is a significant spiritual delusion and it results from yielding to religious spirits. That's what's, that's what's behind those things. Amen. In all of my 40 plus years of ministry, every time I have met or had any interaction with false apostles or false prophets, invariably their purpose is to deceive their purpose is is recognition they remember what paul turn over to second uh, corinthians again chapter 11 remember what he said about the about the false apostles there in second corinthians 11 he said uh but in verse 12 he said but what i do i will continue to do that i may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. He said, I'm, what I'm teaching you, what I'm saying, what I'm doing, I'm going to keep on doing it. Because he said, I'm determined to, to uh, cut off the opportunity, to take the opportunity away from people who are seeking an opportunity to be quote-unquote regarded they, they want to be recognized. And he said to be regarded just as we are. Was the apostle Paul jealous of his little apostle club? He didn't want anybody else in it? No, to be regarded as an apostle by people uh, that you, if you're a real apostle, people you're ministering to, or if you're a fake apostle, people you're trying to delude, the whole purpose is to get into their lives. And in all of my 40 plus years of ministry, every false apostle or prophet I've ever encountered or, or heard about, they're always looking for access into someone's life. In other words, I've never known a false apostle to just come to church, just find himself a church somewhere and come and bring his Bible and his notes and just listen to the pastor and take notes. That's not what they're there for, ever. 
They're not there to be an ordinary Christian. They're not there to, to learn, to, you know, to just be a part of the church. They're there to gain influence. Like I said, we've had uh, a few over the years who've shown up in our church. And, uh, you know, I don't give them any place. Now, I, don't, I usually don't call them out unless they, unless they act out. But I found that they come a few services and they perceive that there is no access here. There is no place for them to gain a stronghold in this church. And they, of their own accord, they just drift. They drift in and they drift on. But they're looking for a place to gain access They want to intimidate and manipulate gullible people. Remember the scripture over in 2 Timothy? They creep into households, house churches, and lead captive gullible people. Amen? And uh, undiscerning people. And, And unfortunately, there are a lot of people and a lot of congregations around like that. Amen. I told you about the, 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 uh, so-called apostle that, that started attending here a few months back, earlier this year. He came a few services over a period of about, I don't know, five, six weeks, maybe two months, you know, just in and out every now and then, only on Sunday mornings, I think. Sat back about where Larry and, and Helen are sitting back there. It wasn't them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, uh, and, he, and he claimed to be an apostle. And, you know, and so it doesn't say, you know, these days everybody's on the Internet. All these fake ministers, they, they've got their websites and they've got their, you know, things where they can uh, uh, pretend to be somebody. So I went on, on the man's internet, you know, site and or one of the organizations he was with or anywhere. Anyway, he was there and they're trying to get into churches. Why? Because they want to get a stronghold in the church so they can begin to control people every single time. Like I said, no one claims to be an, uh, an apostle. No, no fake apostle claims to be an apostle and just comes to church and doesn't do anything with it. No, he's got an agenda. Same thing with, with false uh, prophets, same thing. They're looking for control of people. They're looking for control of churches, and they're looking for the money. That's, it, it's hard to really say which one is the, the top. They're wanting to control people. They're wanting to control churches so they can get to everybody's money. It's for personal gain. And they want the glory associated with it. They want it, like Paul said, they want to be regarded like we are. They want to be looked up to like we are. And, uh, and it's, you know, the same is true, like I said, concerning false prophets or false pastors or false evangelists or teachers, the same thing. It's not an insignificant thing to claim to have a ministry office, to be in a ministry office that you're not in. That is not okay. It's a, it's a serious thing because, like I said, it's not, just, it's not just like somebody that wanders around town and believes he's, you know, Napoleon Bonaparte, you know, and alive from the dead. You know, there are those people in town and everybody just kind of goes to the other side, you know, sidewalk, cross the street, you know, get around and they just mutter to themselves, you know. Uh, People who claim to be uh, false, people who are false prophets and, and false uh, 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 apostles and so forth, they're not like that. They're, they're, they're looking for trouble. Amen. Well, since we're on this subject, what are, since, since we're on the subject of testing, what are the signs? How can you test an apostle to find out if he's legitimate or not? First of all, there are apostles today. A lot a, a large portion of the church today doesn't believe that there are any apostles. They believe that there were 12 apostles. Judas got thrown out. Matthias was counted in his place. So there was a, originally 12, then one lost, and another one added in. But those 12 or 13 apostles were the only ones because you'll hear things about, well, when the, after the day of, of apostles, when the day of apostles passed away. Well, the day of apostles has never passed away. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you know this, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28 says, and God has set these in the church, first apostles. Well, no place does it say that he removed them from the church. He set and ordained apostles in the church. And in Ephesians chapter 4, it says that when Jesus ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And he gave some to be apostles, 
some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge uh, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, do we all come to a place where we're grown up, to the church goes to maturity? Well, the church isn't there yet. And so we still need all of these ministries. So yes, there are apostles uh, in the church today. There, there are four classes of apostles spoken of in the Bible or identified in the Bible. Only one class of apostle is still operating, you know, in the earth among people today, and, I'll, and I'll, you know, I'll show you that. First of all, in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it talks about Jesus being the apostle uh, of, of our faith, the apostle and high priest of our faith. So Jesus is an apostle. Look it up, Hebrews 3, verse 1. Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession of faith. Well, gee, I think everybody would agree that Jesus stands in a class by himself. There's nobody else in that class of apostles but Jesus. And, uh, and then turn to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. <clears throat> and look at verse number 14. Now the wall of the city... This is the, the, the New Jerusalem. The wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. There's a classification of, of apostles known as the apostles of the Lamb. Those were the, and you remember in, in uh, already referred to it, but in, in Acts chapter one, remember Judas, he was one of the original 12, but he, uh, uh, fell from his office. And so they appointed uh, a Matthias to take his place. And what was the criteria? They said, we, we're, we have to find someone who walked with us from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry until the time, and saw all that he did, saw everything he did from the time he entered, entered his ministry until the time he was called away. They had to be eyewitnesses. The 12 apostles of the Lamb had to be eyewitnesses to the full ministry, earthly ministry of Jesus. Well, all of those guys are gone. So nobody can be in that classification of, of apostles today. Then the third classification are what we call foundational apostles. Turn over to Ephesians, the, the uh, second chapter, Ephesians chapter 2. Here's where we get that expression foundational apostles. Verse 19 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation. See that word? Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So Jesus Christ is the, is the rock in one sense, he is the ultimate foundation. He's the cornerstone. But then it talks about apostles and prophets, plural, being the foundation upon which the church is built. Foundational apostles and prophets were the ones who... Uh, now, the 12 apostles of the Lamb, they were foundational apostles. But there were other foundational apostles that weren't in that number. They weren't part of the, of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The apostle Paul was a foundational apostle. Go with me over to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Verse number 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. <laughs> even now, I've read that so many times in my life. You know, I can't even tell how many times I've read that. But every time I read that, that goes, whew. That's pretty bold. For, for somebody who's not Jesus... <laughs> to say my gospel. But, but to him, talking about God, who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God, 
for obedience to the faith. Now, here when he's talking about the prophetic scriptures, he's talking about the epistles. He's talking about uh, the epistles that he and some others uh, God used to pen, uh, and he calls them scripture. And uh, in uh, Ephesians, go on, this is in Romans, go over to Ephesians and look at chapter 3. Ephesians 3, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation or the stewardship of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my, my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, He said there was a dispensation of the grace of God, a stewardship of the grace of God that was given to Paul for the church. He said how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery. If you drop down to verse 5, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So that third classification of apostles and would also apply to prophets are foundational apostles and prophets. Their words had the force of Scripture. And like I said, some of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, you know, they wrote Scriptures as well. They were all foundational apostles. But Paul was not one of the 12. So those first three categories of of apostles don't exist anymore because there are apostles in the church today, but their voice isn't the same voice as these others. Their words don't have the force of Scripture. They may be speaking by the Spirit. I mean, they should be. If they're apostles and prophets, they should be speaking by the Spirit. But we don't record what they say and call it Scripture. It's not on the same level. It doesn't have the same authority. But uh, so we have non-foundational apostles today. And uh, we, we think about the apostle Paul, the apostle Peter and John. Barnabas was called an apostle in the New Testament. Apollos was called an apostle. Timothy and Silas were called apostles, and there were a few others. So uh, we do have apostles today, but they're just not on the same uh, level as all of the others before us. So what, uh, what is an apostle? The, word, the Greek word is ap- uh, apost- apostolos, and it literally, literally means a sent one, a messenger, a commissioned one, one sent out as a delegate, or representative, an envoy. Excuse me, an envoy, is how you pronounce that. An envoy, a commissioned representative of a congregation could be referred to as an apostle. This term was also used in the secular Greek. And uh, uh, in, in reference to commissioned messengers or ambassadors sent out. So the word was used before it was used in the Bible. It was used in secular Greek. Uh, There are examples of apostles of Zeus, you know, the Greek, you know, uh, religion, Greek gods. So uh, the the word means someone who is especially commissioned. If you send somebody to the grocery store for a loaf of bread, they're not an apostle, (laughs) even though they were sent. But if they're sent out by God, with a commission, that's the, that's the uh, definition of an apostle. But just the definition alone doesn't prove anything. The apostle Paul talked about sign, the signs of an apostle. You were there in, uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And let's look at, I think that's 2 Corinthians 12. Has to be. Signs of an apostle. Yeah, Second uh, Corinthians 12, 12. In the 11th chapter, he's talking about false apostles. In the 12th chapter, he's still talking about the same subject. And he said, I have become a fool in boasting. He was having to really promote himself because of the challenges to his bona fide 
uh, apostolic ministry. He said, I have become a fool in boasting. You have made me. You made me do it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles, though I am nothing. Notice apostles uh, were, were considered uh, people of eminence. They were considered people of importance. An apostle, even in, the, even in the secular realm, an apostle wasn't just an errand boy. Even in secular, an apostle was an official envoy, an official, a commissioned person to go with some particular, uh, conduct some kind of, of business, important business. He said uh, in verse 12, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. So right there you can see that the apostolic ministry, people can, cl- can claim to be an apostle, but where are the signs, wonders, and mighty deeds? Most of these people who, who claim to be somebody, uh, whenever you question them, they don't, all they have is, is a bunch of stories that can't be backed up. I remember the man that, that came in the uh, early years of our, of our church and claimed to be a prophet. And uh, I was invited to, to go hear him one night at a church member's house. And he had all of these stories he told of all of these things that had happened. But there weren't any, he didn't talk about healings or signs and wonders. He talked about judgment, about all of these uh, judgments that he uh, conferred on churches who didn't follow his ministry, who didn't accept him. I mean, I, I sat there for half an hour and listened to him. I was in somebody's living room, what my living room, you know, I'm just sitting there. And I, and I, I, I knew right away the guy was a quack. But he was, he was, a, he was a dangerous quack because he claimed to be a prophet. And he was trying to delude members of my church. And so I sat there kind of on the edge of my seat, you know, and acted really like I'm really taking in what he said. You know, I'm really falling for this. I'm trying to, you know, give him more rope for his hanging, you know. <laughs> and uh, he told about he had gone to this church, to such and such church, and the pastor didn't receive his ministry. And so he left and dusted off his feet, you know, and the dust off of his feet, you know, as a sign left. And, and the next week the, that church burnt to the ground, burned to the ground. He talked about another pastor, another church, or somebody else, another group. They didn't receive his ministry. And the man's wife was killed in an automobile accident just shortly thereafter. Somebody else, you know, something happened to their kids. Something, I mean, just, I mean, it was just a, a whole litany of, of, of threats. He was threatening me. It's like it, was a, it was veiled threats. He was really trying to intimidate me and scare me into you know, uh, submitting to his ministry. What he wanted to do, his next step was to get himself in this church, take up residence here and start prophesying over people and bewitching people and, uh, and, and that's of the devil. And uh, so finally, you know, I'd been listening all this time and I guess he got tired of talking. Finally, he said, well, uh, Pastor Anderson, I don't even know if he called me pastor. I don't, know what, I don't remember that part, but he said, well, I haven't heard anything from you. Have you got anything to say? And... Uh, I had been drinking iced tea and I really had to go to the bathroom really bad. <laughs> and I said, well, excuse me just a minute. Let me run to the restroom. So I went to the, the restroom. I came back out, you know, and so every eye is on me. You know, the, the room gets silent, you know. <clears throat> and I said, well, first of all, I said, because he claimed to be a, like Jeremiah. He was a prophet to the nations. I said, well, first of all, you're not a prophet to the nations. You're not a prophet at all. You're a, you're a false prophet. And then I thought I would be funny, but it didn't go over very big. I said, really, you're a non-profit organization. <laughs> I, had heard, I had heard John Osteen say that one time, and I thought it was funny. It wasn't funny that night, but <laughs> I said, you're not a prophet. You're not a prophet to the nations. You're not a prophet at all. You're a false prophet, and you've come here to beguile these people and through thinly veiled threats and intimidation, you're trying to coerce me into acknowledging your ministry, which I do not acknowledge. And, uh, and so he, he, he started to interrupt me. 
He said, yeah. He said, I knew all along you didn't receive. And I said, so before he could even finish the sentence, I said, stop it. You're right. I don't receive anything you have to say. You're not a, a, a prophet. And so <laughs> my church members were just sitting there like, you know, their eyes were bugged out, you know, gasping for air, you know, like what's going to happen now? And, uh, and so, I, you know, I told the church or my members that were there in that, in that living room that night, I said, you know, anytime apostles traveled from place to place or prophets traveled from place to place or evangelists or teachers, when they went from one place to another in the body of Christ, if you read carefully, they had letters of introduction from the churches and people went with them that could testify where they had been before, the good they had done. I said, you come here and you tell me all these stories, none of it can be backed up with facts. We don't know if any of it's true. And I said, you, 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 all you prophesy is doom and gloom, all these things that happened. I said, let me tell you something. I mean, it was, I enjoyed this. I really did. I said, I can tell you right now, I don't receive your non-ministry and my wife isn't going to die, and our house isn't going to burn down, the church isn't going to burn down, and, and our refrigerator's not going to go out, and our dog's not going to get run over. None of, you know, none of those things are going to happen because you're, you're not any... Well, those kinds of people have to be stopped. And uh, not, you know, not to put a, you know, a negative tone on it, but I think we can expect to see more of this as we approach the end times, more of these people who are full of the devil. So anyway, signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. I said, you know, you don't have any records of any signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. It just looks like disaster follows you everywhere you go. People are dying everywhere you go. So uh, go with me over to Galatians chapter 1. You're there in 2 Corinthians 12. Look at Galatians chapter 1 uh, and look at verse number 11. He said, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's one of the uh, foremost signs of an apostle is a deep personal experience with the Lord, something beyond the ordinary. We all should have a relationship with the Lord. It should be deep and personal. But this is something beyond the, beyond the ordinary. Go with me to uh, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 9. Let's just look at a few of these verses. Acts 9 and look at... <clears throat> Then Saul, verse 1, still breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that he, if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And, and then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city, and it shall be told what you must do. Notice that this was an extraordinary experience. People who are genuinely apostles, they don't have to have this experience, but it has to be something out of the ordinary to qualify as an apostle. In fact, go back to 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11, and look at verse 20. No, that's not it. Go to uh, chapter 9. Go to chapter 9, 1 Corinthians 9, yeah. Verse nine, chapter 9, verse number 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Now notice the next question. Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? And then are you not my work in the Lord? All of those things have to do with the apostolic office. He said, I have seen the Lord Jesus. That, that's, I don't know about you, but I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him. This, is, this is, uh, indicates a, a very deep and unusual experience with God. He said, I have seen the Lord. And not only that, he said, you are my work in the Lord. 
And that's what I told that false apostle that, or that false prophet that night. I said, you don't have any churches. You don't come here with, you don't have anybody that I can call. No letters, no commentary from anybody that says that you've been a blessing anywhere. Now, even at that time, I, I was probably, I was probably 1984, uh, I'm guessing, something like that. And I, you know, I'd only been pastoring a few years, but I could go to any number of places around the United States by that time, and people knew me because I had a legitimate ministry. I wasn't on the radio or TV. I hadn't written any books or anything. But when you have a legitimate ministry, somebody's going to know about it. Amen. So uh, that's part of a sign uh, of an apostle. They have an ability uh, to exercise oversight of churches and establish churches until pastors are ready to, to, uh, to be appointed over them. Apostles have a, an unusual ability to establish churches. I've, I've established a church, one church. I'm a pastor. Apostles seem to have churches just springing up around them without even trying. I wasn't trying to start this one, but uh, I have... I have exercised some efforts since I finally caught on and started, you know, participating and, and cooperating with God. But apostles, when they go out on the mission field to foreign lands and hold crusades, I mean, they, they'll turn around and, and in a few, just in a few weeks' time, there's churches that spring up from that. Christopher Allen doesn't claim to be an apostle. He's a good friend of mine and he's been here many times. He, he, he will never claim to be an apostle. But he has the signs of an apostle. Signs, wonders, mighty deeds, supernatural experience. I won't tell you because he doesn't tell people these things. Pastor Greg and I have spent time with him overseas, and he has told us of some really spectacular visitations he's had from the Lord. He never preaches about it, never talks about it, and there's only a handful of people he's ever told. In fact, he's, he's alluded to it a few times, these things a few times, but on the last trip we were on in uh, Zambia, was that where, in 20, 2019? Was that the last one? Yeah. Uh, he went into quite a bit of detail uh, about some of the visitations that he's, and they were, they were remarkable, but he never talks about it. And you can go behind his ministry in any nation where he's been, and there's churches. He'll go, sometimes, you know, he goes into places now that he's been going for 30 years. He said he always, every time people come up to him, introduce themselves, say, I was saved in your church, you know, when you, or in your crusade, you know, many years ago, and now I'm pastoring this congregation. And, I'm, and this church has just spring up and it, without even trying. That's one of the signs of an apostle. So when people come up claiming to be an apostle, I want to know, well, show me some evidence. Praise the Lord. People are led astray when they don't use their heads. Have you ever noticed that in life? It's, it's true in biblical things too. People are led astray when they don't use their heads. Now, oftentimes, we speak about the importance of judging things by the Spirit, the inward witness, as, to, as opposed to natural judgment. We stress that a lot. But this needs to be clarified. Uh, go with me to John chapter 7. John 7. John 7. <clears throat> Let's start... Just to give a little background, in John chapter 5, there was a man, you know, at, uh, at the pool of Bethesda laying there, and Jesus, you know, he was laying there waiting for some kind of supernatural manifestation, and Jesus said, are you going to be healed? And he said, well, I don't have anybody to help me into the water. And, and Jesus healed the man. Well, that created a lot of stir, and because of that, the Bible says, go back to John chapter 4, it said the, the, the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus because of it, Okay. So now, you know, a little bit of time has passed and Jesus has gone up to, uh, the, to Jerusalem at the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, I think. Yeah, Feast of Tabernacles. 
And his own natural half-brothers tried to get him to go up because they didn't believe in him either. They said, why are you hiding out? Why don't you go up and show yourself, you know, to all of Israel? And Jesus said, well, I'm not going. Well, what he said was, I'm not going right now. So after everybody had gone, then he secretly went up by himself, went up secretly. And so uh, verse 10 says, when his brothers had gone up, then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? And there was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said he is good. Others said no. On the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for, their, for fear of the Jews. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. So much for being in secret. Now he's out in the open. He went into the, to the temple and began to teach. Now the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered and said them, to them, My doctrine or my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall, excuse me, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is or the teaching, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. You know, that's a key right there. If you really want to know God's will, you'll know some things. But when you're wanting to follow after something because you like it, you can be deceived. And, and again, it comes back to just using your, using, your, using your brain. He goes on to say, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, talking about himself, and no right unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keep the law? Why do you, why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Well, they were. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel." Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, from Abraham. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Now here's the, here's the, the next verse I want you to get. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. What we say a lot of times when, we're, when we, you know, kind of talk about the importance of judging things by the Spirit and not judging by the natural, we're talking about not judging by the appearance. According to the word appearance, an appearance is an impression given by someone or something, although possibly misleading. There are a lot of appearances in life. So when we talk about not judging things according to the natural, judge things after the spirit, we're talking about don't judge things just according to the appearance of things. Don't judge things according to what you think and what, you, uh, what, re- what someone is reporting to, to be true or have happened. Instead, do, judge everything he said, judge with righteous judgment. That would be judging things according to the word and according to the spirit. But it doesn't mean turning your brain off. It's, it's been said of charismatics over the years that, that sometimes charismatics check their brains at the door when they come into church. That should not be the case. God gave us a brain. Most of us still have it. And, and we should be using common sense and not being led aside, aside with things. If something doesn't sound right or look right or feel right examine your heart to see if your reaction is based upon the word and spirit leading you or is it upon some natural inclination or some natural bias that you have so that's what he's talking about about judging uh, by the appearance a lot of times we judge things by uh, uh, some natural bias we have something we've heard something somebody said and, and we just have an opinion but, he, but he's saying, look to the word. Righteous judgment looks to the word and it looks to the inward witness, the spirit on the inside. So, uh, you know, consider the source of your reaction. When, you, when, when things happen that you question, why do you question it? We should, we should, all supernatural manifestations, we should question. 
Let me say that again. All supernatural manifestations we should question. That doesn't mean we should be, uh, 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 you know, on the defense, but we should judge. That might be a better word. We should test all things. That's what uh, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. He said, uh, you know, hold fast, you know, prove all things, do not despise prophesying, test all things, hold fast that which is good. So we ought to test these things. That's not being unspiritual. But we should use our head too. If something's weird, you're going to have to test it a little bit more. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We've established a precedent for testing and judging spiritual things. And we've also established a commandment to test. First John, remember this scripture? First John 4, we looked at Sunday night. Beloved, try the spirits, whether they're of God. Try, test everything that happens in the spirit. Is it of God or is it of man? Now, there are different uh, uh, places or different uh, 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 sources of supernatural manifestations. They can come from God. They can just come from the flesh, something put on, or they can come from the enemy. And so we need to judge. We, there's a series of, of questions we can ask. The first one, and uh, I've got a little bit of time tonight. I'll start on that tonight. The first question that we should ask, now this is, this is uh, concerning any manifestation you have, any spiritual uh, occurrence, whether it's a dream or a vision, not that you have a lot of dreams and visions. Okay, that's not common. I said it's not. Go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, a lot of you have dreams, but not, not the God kind of dreams. Some, some of our dreams are based on what we were watching on television before we went to bed. <laughs> in uh, Acts chapter 2 uh, verse 14 Peter standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose seeing it is only the third hour of the day but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. Now, if you just look at this passage and don't look at anything else, just look at this passage, it, it would appear that dreams and visions should be as common as speaking in tongues and prophesying. Now, we know that speaking in tongues is very common. In fact, and, and, and the Spirit being poured out on, uh, on sons and daughters and so forth, the Spirit is being poured out widely today on all flesh. That's, that's, that's what's going on in the New Testament era. God is pouring His Spirit. People are being born again, and He's pouring His Spirit on them, and that's for everybody. But if you just read this, you say, well, you know, he's pouring his spirit out on everybody and people are prophesying and we're told to covet to prophesy and part of that is tongues and interpretation equals prophecy. All of that should be very common. Then it should be very common that we would have dreams and visions. The problem is you have to interpret the Bible with the Bible. And you see in the Bible, you see in the book of Acts and you see in the epistles that people Every time the Spirit was poured out, people spoke with tongues and or prophesied. And they were encouraged to covet the gift of prophecy. And, and the church at Corinth is one of the best examples. We have more, more insight into the daily workings of the Spirit in a church in Corinth. And they had all kinds of vocal gifts. It, it, it was going on all the time. Nothing is mentioned in 1 Corinthians or any of the other places about them, about them having dreams and visions. You don't see it in the epistles. We'll say, well, pastor, is it not so? Oh, no, what it said here is true, but you have to interpret it in line with the history that's given. And the history shows us that dreams from God, visions and so forth that are of divine origin, they don't happen very often. They don't. They didn't happen every day. 
You read the book of Acts and you read about some of these things and you think, you know, if you just sit down and read it real fast, you think, ooh, this stuff was happening all the time. You don't realize the book of Acts spans 30 years. So even the supernatural occurrences you find in the book of Acts didn't happen to most people. They mostly happened to special people. Dreams, visions, angelic visitations, they, they, all of the occasions, every single one of them, they happened to, to special people who had been given a special assignment. They had been raised up and given a special ministry, a special purpose, and they all had to do with establishing some aspect of gospel ministry, of getting the gospel out. We'll look at them next time. But every single one of them, they, they weren't, it wasn't just, you know, Susie having a dream and then interpreting her dream and it meant this, that, and the other and that happening all. That, that did not happen in the New Testament. It didn't. We'll, we'll, look at, we'll look at all the examples next week and you'll see that it happened to people who were uniquely and specially called for a significant contribution to the gospel. We'll look at Mary. An angel showed up. I would think Mary was a, was a pretty singularly important person. She had a very important assignment. Joseph, her uh, 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 betrothed husband, you know, that, that uh, in the middle of the night, he had a dream, an angel warning him to take the child. Well, he was a, that was a very important dream. It wasn't about what he was going to be, what, what kind of cabinet he was going to be building the next day, whether to use plywood or CDX or something else, you know, or plastic. It was something important. You go through every single one of those. They were people with, with special ministries, special purpose, and it had to do with establishing the gospel. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.